An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This, had, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then eunuch asked, the, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is a great Sunday to be gathered together to celebrate with the six that are going to be baptized in just a few moments. And uh, I just thought, uh, I need to know something this morning. Are there any people here from Saskatchewan? Don't be shy, you can admit it. Oh, I was hoping there wouldn't be anybody. Because <laughs> I apologize now in advance for the true story that I'm about to share with you. Uh, Tina and I were on a flight from Calgary to Ottawa. This is all the way back in 1997. And was on a, with a carrier called Greyhound Air. Does any of you remember that really short-lived ex, uh, experiment that Greyhound Air, or the bus transportation company did? And their idea was, well, connect Canadian cities and then people will go by bus from the smaller cities. And it seemed like a good business plan. It fell miserably. But it wasn't maybe because their business plan was so bad. It was maybe because of comments like this. Because not long after takeoff, the pilot comes onto the intercom and makes this announcement. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I have good news and bad news. The bad news first. Flying over Saskatchewan is as about as exciting as driving through Saskatchewan. But the good news is it will only take 20 minutes. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm flying, I actually appreciate when the pilot or maybe the co-pilot comes over the intercom 
And from 30,000 feet, you know, points out major landmarks and says, well, that's this city and those of you on the left side, which you always feel ripped off if you're on the right side because you can't see it anyways. And now your movie's stopped or you're now awake because this intercom interrupted your slumber, those kind of things. But I like when uh, they point out those kind of things. And so I share that just because it's kind of an illustration of what I want to do this morning. Um, What we're going to do is fly over the New Testament at about 30,000 feet and point out just some key markers and some highlights that relate to the theme of baptism this morning. Because this morning, as we've said, we're going to witness six people who are going to be getting into this tank just behind me here to my left, filled with water, and each of them are going to share their story of God's grace and redemption in their lives. Then upon their profession of repentance and faith in Jesus, they will be put back under the water, and then they're going to be lifted back up out of the water, All of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at that point, you can all clap and cheer like crazy because it is a time of rejoicing. It's something worth celebrating um, because it is a public declaration that is worth celebrating. But the question is, why do we do this? And why do we do it in this way? And why should you, in fact, if you have come to faith in Jesus, be baptized? Now, to answer these and maybe some of these other questions, we're going to fly over some of these New Testament passages. So first, we're going to take off in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, and then again in John chapter 1, there are descriptions that are either very direct or at least indirect of the time when Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus is about 30 years old at the time, and he's about to start his public ministry. And Jesus comes to John and he says, hey, you need to baptize me. And John actually tries to at first talk him out of it, saying that he, in fact, is the one that needs to be baptized by Jesus, not the other way around. But Jesus insists and says, go ahead and do it because it's the right thing to do. And so John eventually agrees and Jesus was baptized at 30 years old in the Jordan River. And by being baptized, Jesus was essentially saying at least these three things. First of all, it's just right for me to publicly and visibly commit myself to the Father's will. That I, as his son, will be obedient to him. And secondly, it's right for me to leave an example for those who are going to follow me. I'm setting an example by doing this. And thirdly, thirdly, he says, it's really right for me to do it as well. Because it's like a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to me, namely my death, the burial, and resurrection. And that, my friends, is the very picture of baptism. It's a very symbolic act. When the person being baptized is going back down into the water, it symbolizes dying to your old self. And when they're fully under the water, fully immersed, they get all wet, the old self is in fact buried. And then, when they come up out of the water, it symbolizes being resurrected to new life in Christ. And so that's why we baptize the way we do. Matthew, in writing about Jesus' baptism, uses the phrase, he went up out of the water. Now, why would you ever have to come up out of the water if you never went down into the water in the first place? And there's another reason we understand baptism to be by immersion in this way. And that's because the Greek word that's used to translate as baptize means literally to dip 
or to immerse or to submerge. And so if there was only one reason even to be baptized, this would be it. Jesus was baptized. And as followers of Jesus who by definition want to do what Jesus did, we then also should be baptized. But not only was Jesus baptized himself, he baptized those who would become his disciples. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, and verse 22, we read, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. And so here we find Jesus is baptizing his disciples. And as you continue to read in John chapter 3, and when you get to verse 26, you discover that Jesus was in fact continuing to baptize. This wasn't just for him and his, his uh, immediate disciples, but he continues to do it as John's disciples, because there seemed to be almost this little competition going on. Um, John's disciples come to John and they say, hey, this Jesus guy, he's baptizing, and now everyone is going to him. And so then as we're about to level off now at about 30,000 feet, we read in the first two verses of John chapter 4, the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So it was a sign of their discipleship. And then he goes on to say, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So are you with me so far? It's a very high level, but it's moving fast And the ground beneath us is moving quickly, and we're covering some key points. And here's this. Jesus was baptized. He baptized his disciples. And then his disciples baptized those who also followed Jesus. And then finally, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives his disciples what has been named the Great Commission. Jesus sends out his disciples. He, he commissions him, as it were, and gives them the responsibility and the challenge to make disciples. And he adds that in making disciples, they should be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that, very simply, is why we do what we do the way we do it. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus, commit their lives to following him, and then one of the very first things that he commanded us to do as his followers is to be baptized. But it doesn't just end in the Gospels. This flight continues on into Acts. And the book of Acts is the account of the early church, its beginnings and its explosive growth. After Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples did what he commanded them to do. In Acts chapter 2, in fact, Peter preaches this incredible sermon. He basically just preaches Jesus. And the people come to understand the problem of their sin, their need uh, for forgiveness, and they accept the truth about Jesus dying for the forgiveness of their sin. The people who heard it realized then that that wasn't just a message to listen to, but that there was some kind of a response that they needed to make. And in verse 37, Luke records what happened on that day. It says this, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Well, the disciples have a response ready. Repent, that is, turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and be baptized. 
but I'm not sure that they were fully ready for the response of the people that day. Because because Luke goes on to record then that those who accepted his message were baptized, and get this, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, if you've been journeying in your Christian faith for a while, you've probably have heard that before, but have you ever just stopped and thought about what that would be like? Like 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ at one time, on one day, and all immediately being baptized. I mean, that was some baptismal service. I, I'm sure that if you do the math, I mean, the disciples, like they, I, I didn't do the math before, and I'm trying to do it in my head, and I'm completely lost. Um, but, you know, that's probably a couple hundred baptisms for each of the disciples. And Jesus himself was, was oh no, not on that day. Jesus had ascended to heaven. See, that's what happens when I start to get away from my notes. I completely mess things up. So, his disciples are baptizing. And this is the pattern that you'll find throughout the book of Acts. People turn from their sin to Jesus. They put their faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins. And immediately, in fact, on that day, they are baptized. Let me give you some more examples. In the passage that Garth had read for us earlier in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40, we have this historical account of the baptism of an Ethiopian. We don't know his name. He's not mentioned by name. But we do know that he was reading the prophet Isaiah out loud, which in fact was the custom in those days. And a man by the name of Philip hears him. Now actually, Philip was responding to the voice of the Spirit who first told him to go south on the desert road and then specifically directed him to the Ethiopian's chariot. And so Philip comes up to him and he asks the Ethiopian if he understands what he's reading. And the Ethiopian is honest and he simply says, well, How can I unless someone explains it to me? And so Philip jumps up into the chariot with the Ethiopian, and he begins to tell him about Jesus and the good news. And even though the man, it said, describes him, he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, it seems that he's hearing the truth about Jesus for the very first time. And we don't have all the details about what Philip shared with the Ethiopian, but we can make some pretty safe and good assumptions. He began with the passage of scripture in Isaiah that the man was reading, we know that, that talks about the innocent death of Jesus. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And he would have spoken about the problem of sin and and why there needed to be a, a sacrifice for that sin and how, in fact, we all deserve death. But God, instead, he loved the world so much so that he, 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 he didn't wait. And he reached out to us. Jesus, God's son, died for us. And if you believe that, he must have said, then you can be saved. And then you should commit your life to following Jesus. And, and, and the Ethiopian might have said, well, what does it mean then to follow Jesus? And Philip would have said, well, then you should be baptized. Because it was through Jesus and his baptism that, that he demonstrated that he would die, but that he would also rise again. And as followers of Jesus, we too should be baptized. And so picking it up in verse 36, here's the specifics. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? 
Just a little aside, there's actually a small miracle taking place here. And you see God's hand in orchestrating all of this. First, in sending Philip to the Ethiopian in the first place. Then sending him down this desert road. And they come across some water. And the Ethiopian, having now put his faith in Christ, <clears throat> is immediately baptized. Listen again to how this scene unfolds, verses 38 and 39. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. So they had been moving along and having this conversation. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. If you've been baptized, you probably, no doubt, remember that exact moment. And that sense of just as Jesus, as the, Holy, as, as the Father looked on Jesus and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It is the pleasure of the Father to see his children follow him in obedience to be baptized. And when you come out, there is, there is no greater joy. It's hard to describe, right? But if you've experienced it, you know and he went on his way rejoicing. And so this pattern, believing that Jesus is God's son that died on the cross for our sins and then immediately being baptized, it continues on through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, we find the record of the conversion of Paul. Now let me point out that, that as soon as his eyes were opened to the truth of Jesus, Paul says, it says, he got up, and guess what? He was baptized didn't wait. He didn't even have anything to eat because verse 19, I love this, he says, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. He hadn't eaten in three days. And the very first thing he did was not the priority of filling his empty tummy. It was to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he did. And if you have some time this afternoon, you can read through Acts chapter 16 for yourself. And there you'll be introduced to a lady named Lydia, also described as a worshiper, worshiper of God. But when the Lord, it says, opened her heart to the message and to respond to Paul's message, she was immediately baptized. And then as you continue to read, still in Acts 16, you'll, you'll be introduced to a Philippian jailer who also comes to believe in Jesus and is immediately baptized in the middle of the night, no less. And so as you read the Acts of the Apostles, you discover that the disciples did what Jesus modeled for them and commanded them to do. And they were just ordinary people who had come to faith in Jesus, and they were immediately baptized. Well, let's land this flight into the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And as we start our final descent, it's clear that reading the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, that baptism then was an activity that the church continued to practice. And the letters further explain the meaning of baptism and continue to put theological sort of bones and weight to, to baptism. And so, for example, in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes this in verses 4 through 6. He says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, 
we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And these verses again make it clear that baptism is a symbolic act. We don't literally die and are buried, but symbolically through baptism, we show that we have died to our old self. That person that we used to be is buried and we are now raised to new life in Christ. But it's important to know that baptism by itself doesn't make you a believer or save you. It just simply shows that you already believe and are saved. We are saved only by our faith in Jesus. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's all because of God's grace. But baptism becomes this public expression of a person's faith. It's a visible testimony of this inner commitment, this change that's taken place. And it is the believer identifying then with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, you can picture it, right? Baptism by immersion just symbolizes this so well. And so that is why we practice, and today we'll witness, believer's baptism. Because all of the people that are being baptized today will tell you about their faith in Jesus and that they are making a public statement about their desire to follow Jesus and be obedient to him. So what does this mean for you? Let me just ask you a question. Two questions, in fact. First of all, do you know Jesus personally? What I mean by that is just, have you come to faith in him? Have you turned from your sin and asked Jesus to forgive you, recognizing that he died for you? And if you haven't, if you don't know Jesus personally, we would love to introduce him to you today. Because maybe just in witnessing these baptisms, maybe you're invited by a friend who's being baptized today, and you're not even sure what it's all about, but you witness it and you're like, wow, I, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I want to make him Lord of my life. I want to turn my life over to, to him and commit to following him. We'd love to talk to you after. Pastor Ken, myself, there's elders around, there's other people, maybe the very people you came with. Great conversation to have around brunch. Say, this is when I trusted Jesus. If you do know Jesus personally, then you can rejoice because you know that your eternity is secure. Your sins are forgiven. But can I ask you, if you've come to faith in Jesus, have you followed Jesus in baptism? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? The scripture makes it so clear. I think it's undeniable. Faith in Jesus, baptized on that day, before they ate, before they slept, before whatever was next in their priority, they were baptized because that was their highest priority. Look, well, you can't really see it, but you'll see it. There's water here. 
And what's going to stand in the way of you being baptized? Let's pray together. Father, as we take this quick flight over the scriptures and are just reminded of these very simple truths, that your son Jesus was baptized and you were so pleased with him on that day and on that occasion. He then baptized his disciples and his disciples baptized other followers who came to faith in Jesus. So Lord, we this morning have a wonderful opportunity to witness the baptism of these six individuals, each of whom have a unique story that you have written on their hearts and on their lives. Their journey is unique. And so Lord, I pray that as uh, each one comes into this water, that, uh, that they would know the great pleasure of yourself, their Father, and that it would be a great day of rejoicing for them, <clears throat> and one that they will never, ever, ever forget. And Lord, for many of us maybe who have been baptized, I pray that you would take us back to that day, that place, that moment, and that you would remind us of the commitment that we made to follow you. And help us to, to follow you well and to finish well. And Father, for those that might be here this morning that have yet to cross the line of faith and put their faith and hope in your son Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he paid the debt, the chains, the slavery to sin were broken. And so Lord, I pray that there would be those this morning that would also come to faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. And Father, for those that are just being reminded here of something they probably know they should have done long ago and they've put it off for one reason or another and now they think it's been too long and it's maybe even embarrassing or whatever, whatever it is, Lord, may they know this morning and may they, like the Ethiopian, ask the question, what can stand in the way of me being baptized. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.